All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek, joined by Mike and Rich. We've got a full crew here at the Sixers training facility in sunny Camden, New Jersey. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Good to be. Oh, do you want to now pass that over to Rich? Yeah, so yeah. We can All right, here's Rich. Just to let everybody know, <laughs> we have two mics today. Uh, so, so the audio between me and Mike might be a little slower, but we're, we're here to do a podcast for you guys. We're making it work. We, we planned for a two-person podcast, and we got three. But so we are back. First time back, I think, since December twenty before before the Christmas break. Uh, they bought on a five-game road trip, three and two in that trip. One loss to Boston, and then one loss where Embiid didn't play. I guess we'll just start off with overall impressions of how they're playing, where they're at. You know, I know before they left for that trip. Brett Brown said that he didn't really feel like they had an identity. Do you feel like they have done anything to sort of build that identity they hope to carry with them through the stretch playoff run and into the playoffs? Uh, no, I don't think we. I don't think we learned all that much about this team on the trip. I mean, Joel is the same guy. We know what we're going to get out of him, particularly in the first half, uh, which is something something we can touch on later in the pod. But. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just think they're really still figuring things out with, with Ben and Joel and Jimmy. Um, you know, there's always going to be discussion about, you know, who's getting the touches and when between those three. And I, I don't think that we've seen kind of the ultimate balance offensively between those three. Um, I still think the bench has just as many question marks as it did before. Um, and all, all this being said, obviously they played pretty well throughout, throughout that road trip, the Portland loss aside. Um, but I just don't think I don't think they solidified much of an identity. Even Brett was talking about it at practice a little bit today, and he just said, you know, they still have to figure things out. And and I think he kind of hinted to in his mind they're a little bit behind the top of the East, um, and they might feel different if they had beaten Boston and and that shot by Reddit goes down. But I just think this team is still figuring things out, figuring things out in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was a weird road trip, and that. Just looking at the schedule, you thought it was going to be harder than it actually was. I mean, when, when you look at Utah and at the Clippers, you think, oh, those teams, I mean, the Clippers have played well in the first half. Utah, really good defense, played pretty well at home. Uh, and they handled both of them, although they uh, they have a propensity to uh, to Make call it more the, interesting than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the Phoenix game being the best example of that. So I agree with Mike. I don't think we learned too much about these guys. I, I do think it was a successful road trip in terms of, you go three and two, and one of the games you lost the buzzer in Boston. The other one you just didn't have Embiid, and you played a stinker, and you got your ass kicked. But whatever. Uh, so I, I think it was a success in, in in those terms. You know, I think somebody will talk about it a little bit later. I I liked how Jonah Bolden played on the road trip. That was you know watching him foul everybody, and uh, also like you know set good screens and give them a lot of energy as well. Bolden's yeah. still playing under the summer league rules where you get ten fouls per game. Yes, I think Brett said. Did he have 11 fouls in the first quarter? And, I, I mean, it's true, but you also – I like the energy he brought. I thought he did a lot of good things out there. That was about the only thing where I thought, oh, that's new, that's different. But besides that, I don't think we learned all that much. Well, you also learned that you had the ultimate closer in Forkin Korkmaz and that, that shot he hit. That was quite a shot. Did he keep his uh, he keep his wrist <laughs> up after it was over? The, what does what Brett call it? The, the truth hand, I think is what he calls it. I, I don't know. But, yes, that was uh, – I was not expecting Furkan Korkmaz to bail them out of the game, basically. And uh, he did that. Freed himself up with a nice pump fake, I might add. Furkan Korkmaz, greatest pump fake of all time. Back to you, Rich. 
Mike, Mike jumped off his couch on that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would I would say they probably didn't learn a whole lot about themselves. I would classify it as it certainly wasn't a bad road trip. Like going three and two, it helps that the Clippers are struggling a bit of late. Um, that game against Portland, you don't want to say you throw it out, but when you have him beat out, then have Butler putting up that stinker, you just have no chance. I'm tossing that one. This this team does not have the depth to lose two of those three guys. Um, the Clippers game, too. We joked about how New Year's in Los Angeles would be tough yeah, on they, the Sixers. Yep. It looked like it was tough on the Clippers. They they navigated New Year's fine. They navigated a road back-to-back fine. So while maybe those aren't you know signature wins, they are places you could trip up on. So they ended their you know three and two pretty much right in line with the top of the Eastern Conference. Everyone was within like a game or two of each other. And I still feel like there's nobody that really takes this team seriously in terms of a playoff run. I don't think there's anyone right now who's thinking locally or nationally, this team should beat Boston, this team should beat the Bucks or the Raptors. And on the one hand, I think that's fair. I don't think they have the depth to do so. I think they're still figuring things out. On the other hand, they do have a guy playing at MVP level. And whenever you do that, you have a shot. So it will be interesting to see what adjustments they can make, both in terms of personnel and in scheme over the final three months here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I think I said this on one of the recent pods we did, but the Sixers are just two two bench pieces away from making sense as a team. And until they get that, I, I almost think you have to judge them on a curve. I mean, I, I think you could make the argument that their their top three, maybe even their top four, is the best in the East, but they're just at such such a deficit five through nine that that. You know, you almost can't you can't judge them in the same way that you would these other teams because the Sixers just aren't complete and they need they need more quality pieces off the bench to to help them make sense as a team. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's good that you brought up you know the top four because I do think you know JJ Redick has his flaws and we'll talk about him constantly, but when you look at pretty much any of the I think Spike mentioned this to me the other day, and if you look at the Sixers five starters and the best three man units among those five starters. The top like six or seven all include JJ Redick, and he, no matter what lineup combination you look at, he makes them a significantly better offensive team. In some case, some cases he turns them from a team that can struggle to one that is just lights out offensively, and it helps over the last six games. You know, we talked a lot about Redick's three point shooting. At one point, it was thirty six percent. And we pointed to his mid-range game, and we said, you know, those two are probably going to normalize. And now over the last six games, he's shooting 53% from three on eight attempts per game. He will end up at 38, 39, 40% at the end of the season. And his shooting and his movement has really benefited the team. So I think we focus so goddamn much on Simmons and Bede Butler and their fit. And it's true to some degree. But it really is, I, I agree with you, two or three bench pieces away from maybe not being a perfect team, maybe not being a complete team, maybe hopefully not being the team they will be in two or three years when Embiid and Simmons are really hitting their prime, but being a team that can really make some noise. By the way, for, for somebody who is so analytical with this shooting, JJ will tell you at all times, I'm going to get to 40%. I know it's going to happen. I have ups and downs. It's amazing that he reacts after every three like it's the first one he's ever made. 
I mean, he really, like, he went full heel in, in a couple of those games. He just started dancing and, <laughs> and doing all that stuff. Uh, he's, he, he's just like uh, Amir Johnson in practice. Yes. They, uh, yeah, he, he's played really well. Can we can we talk about Embiid? The the first half stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, I'm looking at your, your story right now. Is it since December 7th, he's averaging 19.3 points and 8.5 rebounds. Why, while shooting 59% in the first half. Yeah. That's all-star production in one half of the game. Yeah. And the pessimists would then say, well, he's shooting like 40-some percent in the second half. He's struggling. He's only averaging like maybe, I think he's averaging like 10 points a game over that span in the second half, which, oh, by the way, a 10-point half isn't like the worst production in the world. You're still talking about 20-10 and 10 player over the course of a full game. But, yes, his his first half production, the way he's been able to come out and establish himself. I mean, the other night against Phoenix. Now, Watching, granted, I, that was amazing. That team, I mean, as you said a couple minutes ago, I'm going to blow up your spot. I know this is off the record. The dumbest center rotation <laughs> in NBA history. I'm pretty sure I tweeted that out, so you can blow up my spot. Okay. Uh, I mean, Aiton just and, – and I do think he's done some nice things offensively. Like, I'm not going to call him a bust or anything. Like, I, I do think he's going to be a decent player. Right now, that guy's got no clue on defense. No. no. No clue. And it was very, very much like the Okafor Sixers where you just – the Sixers were like a good matchup for Phoenix and that you got them moving side to side once, somebody's in the wrong spot. I, somebody. And it could have been one of four people, but it was definitely DeAndre was one of them. <laughs> and then, God, and then they put Rashawn into the game. And poor Rashawn. <laughs> I have a soft spot for Rashawn. I watched him play a lot of – on a lot of really bad teams. He always played really hard. He's never a very smart defender, and he's also not that big. I it reminded me of an old training camp practice where Joel just threw him around like a rag doll, and it was uh, <laughs> it was something. All right, the Euro step dunk was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, and that, that that brings a lot of discussion about how you can carry that production over to the second half of games. You know, I think teams do double more. And Brett had some interesting quotes today on um, how they handle movement and spacing around Embiid. Comparing it to Simmons, it does pass. You know, this is something that I mentioned in my column after the Suns game. Something you wrote about here at the end of the week. And that the team just moves differently around Simmons than they do Embiid. And with Embiid, it's much more about making sure Joel knows where his outlets are, putting people in spots where they are presentable to Joel, where Joel knows where they are, and he can kick it out to them. Whereas with Simmons, it's more about, well, how can we use Simmons to get somebody else a really good shot? And I think there's, you know, I think first of all, I think Brett will open up more of the off-ball playbook when Joel gets a little better at reacting to double teams. But I do also think a lot of times, like, people can get a little too stationary. And you don't have to have a guy cutting down the lane and getting in Embiid's way, but you can do a little more on the perimeter to free shooters up to put them in a better spot where Joel has an easier pass to make. So I think there's something about double teams in the second half after a team's been roasted in the first half. But I also do think, and we, we've talked about this before, I think it's partly conditioning too, where Joel just he doesn't have the stamina to dominate in the second half the way he does in the first half. And you look at in his field goal percentage, it's been a while since I looked at it, um, but at one point in the season, it was 52% in the first half, 42% in the second half. 
And some of that looks, but I think some of that is also settling for shots, which we talked about a few minutes ago, where, you know, rather than, first of all, make the correct read and kicking it out and just passing on that post-up attempt, he'll settle for a, a turnaround jump shot that's not a high percentage look. But I think just overall, rather than exert the energy, he settles not all the time, but more in the second half. And it would be great to get them up to a, a, a point where there isn't quite that drop-off in the second half. But what he's doing in the first half is just, it is absolutely mind-boggling. Like you said, 19-9 and nine in the first half is just insane. It is insane. Um, going back to the second half stuff, though, I think that, you know, especially as you look towards the end of the games, when things really start to tighten up, I mean, there are just so many ways that you can fluster a post-up and, and get Embiid either out of rhythm or just push him way out onto the perimeter. Like, I mean, the shot clock plays a big factor, and honestly, I mean, if you... If a team is picking up full court and, and they kind of stand you up near the logo and you have to you have to make an extra pass before the entry pass, then you give it to Joel. There's there's 10 seconds on the shot clock. Then a double team comes and he has to kind of dribble out of it. And then you're scrambling with five and seconds left. And by the left. way, your point guard is almost never the one making that entry pass anyway because it's so easy to sag off of him. And your point guard, yeah, exactly. And your point guard's in the dunker spot where, where somebody's going to be sending a double from there. So, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, Joel has had some, some comments, obviously, about you know, his touches late in games, and there are reasons just naturally in the flow of a basketball game why it's hard to feed the post late in the game. So, I mean, there's just a lot that goes into that. I think, you know, some of that has an impact on his second half stats. I think some of it is randomness. Some of it is kind of inexplicably going away from him. Um, some of it is obviously the physicality you touched on, but uh, it, it would be nice if they could feed him a little bit more. Totally agree with that. It's, I mean, post-ups as good as Joel is and as efficient of a play as he has made it, as impressively as he's done, it's it's easier to ISO somebody. It's easier to run a pick and roll. It just is. And like you said, I mean, sometimes I don't think he makes the right decision, but I look down at the shot clock and there's four seconds left. So it's also not the greatest position to be in either. I uh, I did like, you know, a couple times on this trip, he uh, – you know, he played some of the other taller centers in the league, Gobert, Boban. Uh, I noticed a couple times he uh, he flared out for threes. It seems like uh, that whole uh, I hate shooting threes thing, uh, once a couple of them started to go in, seems like that kind of dissipated a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, it's I'm sure it's partly like the shots aren't going in. I'm sure it's also partly a point to vocally show his displeasure and maybe – you know, a bet that doing so will get him more of the touches that he likes. Joel Embiid prides himself on his perimeter skills, too. I have no doubt that the three-point shot is going to be a, a a thing that he works on and a future part of his game. I don't I don't deny that. Yeah, sure. but but going back to the post-ups, uh, they got to get better. At I, I do think uh, at the end of games, you know, while there are ways that you can double this team, especially, I mean, a couple of those games... Butler wasn't playing, so they decided to put TJ in with Simmons. So yeah, that doesn't work. It's just two guys that you can freely double off of. When you've, One, got, when you've got Simmons in the dunker spot and TJ in the corner, your spacing is never going to be great. It's tough. Uh, but, they, you know, and we talked about this a little bit on the last pod about other options and ways they could do it. I actually wrote about it today on the uh, athletic.com slash Philly. Do we have a code? Is it like slash WIP? I always listen to Birds with Friends, and they have a code. And... Uh, uh, we never have one. Uh, I'm too lazy to look. We're pretty bad. At there, that. Are, there are so many discounts out there that if you want a subscription, you'll find one. You can find one. 
Yeah, sure. The uh, so so yeah, they 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 need to be better because I'm sorry when Joe Embiid gets doubled too many times, he's like flailing out to the perimeter and kind of you know maybe he then redrives it or maybe he just sh- tries to shoot over the double team. You need to get to a point and and he's made so much progress. His turnovers are down over last year. He's done a lot of good things. The last step is when you double him, like that has to be an automatic. We're gonna make you pay. And we're yeah. going to get an open three with somebody. And honestly, if it was TJ right now, obviously that's like not the greatest shot in the world. I would like to see it for now because that would tell me more about Joel and and what we could do in the future when you hopefully get a better shooter in there. Watching Simmons operate in the post, and he's posting up almost twice as much over the last month as he was earlier in the season. Like he is is much more assertive. And with Simmons, it's it's weird because there will be games where he won't. It's very matchup-based, whereas Joel is in the post every game, regardless of what's going on. Um, but watching Simmons in the post, it really is eye-opening what an elite passer does because for a team that we've complained about is so static when Embiid has the ball in the post, they really did move off the ball. Uh, they really did cut. They freed themselves. And Simmons, when he's, he's, he's more of a, a facilitator from the mid-to-high post anyway than he is a scorer. And I think he's been looking to score more, but he's still very much... I mean, that's what he did at LSU. That's what made him a special prospect. Um, And they are integrating that more. And it's just... Embiid's passes... Even when Embiid passes out of the post, it's delayed. It's after the double's gotten there. It's not decisive. It's not quick. There's no snappy ball movement. And it's just... You've got to get him up to that point where he can do that. Because if teams have to then hesitate to double Embiid, it's it's, it's just going to open things up for him. We talked about it before. We don't know why teams don't send doubles earlier in the game. Like, force him to consistently make those quick decisions and beat you. Because right now, whether it's mentality, and I think I think when Joel kicks the ball out, I think he's really trying to get the ball back. Like, he's a scorer through and through in the post. And he'll go through periods of moments where he will really, quote-unquote, quarterback the gym, the steal a Brett phrase. But by and large, he's looking to be a scorer. And by and large, a team needs that. But in order to really get that kind of crisp ball movement, I think his decisions from the, the low block, have to be quicker. Yeah. I t- that's To be clear, that's like the one area of Joel's game I'll nitpick on a regular basis. He's an almost perfect, flawless, in terms of major flaws, not things you can improve on, but major weaknesses. There aren't many when we're talking about Joel Embiid, but this is one where if I'm projecting growth, this is where I would look. Yeah, and it's, it is crucial, though. It is crucial, though. Um, but, yeah, going back to Ben, I wanted to ask you guys, like, what do you think – has been the difference for him in terms of scoring out of the post this year. Because if you remember last year, at least his synergy stats were terrible. Like, I think he was in the 17th percentile in post-up efficiency. Um, this year, I know it's a lot better. I don't know what it is. But he, he's he's really scoring well out of the post, and I can't quite put my finger on what it's been. I think maybe he's just bullying guys on there. Maybe freedom of movement is helping him. But I don't know. Like, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I think Butler probably helps, too. Like another another real good defender that's occupied. I think that could play a little part in it. The one thing I'll say that that I notice, and it's it's frustrating too, because sometimes he does run to Joel. Uh, I, I think his position's been excellent this yeah. year. And you mentioned this the other night. I totally agree with you. When he got that three seconds against the Clippers, he does need at times a clock in his head because honestly, he got three seconds on one play. 
He should have had it the next, next one, too. Next play, yeah. he was in it for six seconds. And for, <laughs> yeah. for some reason, I, I guess that's like the the old uh, Legion of Boom Seahawks. They can't call pass interference on every play. Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but he, he got a foul call. I, I will say, his position is excellent, and sometimes he just doesn't. He straight up just doesn't get the ball. Uh, that's really the only thing I can see as a bigger difference. I, I know, you know, we talked about it uh, today, Brett, you know, that they are trying some off the ball, maybe some different movement type stuff with them. But I, I don't really see too much of a difference. I mean, I know he's finishing better this year, but to me, or, or it seems like he's finishing better this year, to me that kind of just seems on drives, maybe in transition yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. And it's, it's The jump it's, hook he has is the same jump hook he's had for the three years. I don't think he's, there's a massive skill difference in terms of his scoring in the post. No. It, I think it's assertiveness, aggressiveness, seeking out mismatches, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does. He definitely loves that jump hook. But, yeah, I, I don't know. What do, what do you think? Like I said, I think I think a lot of it is just aggressiveness and and just being a bully down there. And I think, like I said, freedom of movement has helped him a little bit. Like guys used to really push him off his spots down there, and now he's just holding his ground. And he, I, I don't know if he's drawing a lot more fouls off the ball, but maybe that's just my my intuition. He's certainly drawing more fouls. I don't know where they're coming from though. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, he I think he's had a couple couple of new moves. I mean, there was a nice like drop step spin move the other night. I think it was in. LA, I could be wrong, um, but yeah, it just seems like it just seems like a mindset and aggressiveness that he has down there. And it is something, you know. I think a lot of times people focus on, well, you can't have two post-up players. I think there are times where it gets to be a little bit cumbersome in the post in the paint. But just having another guy who can seek out a mismatch in a playoff series, like. Brett doesn't really like to play mismatch basketball too much, but you see Boston do it. Like, all right, who's got the weakest defender on him? All right, we're going to Tatum on yeah. this possession. And the Sixers haven't really been able to do that. And if Ben can both establish himself as a scorer, like he did against the Suns in the first half, um, really started getting in the paint, scoring, getting fouled. And in the second half, double teams came, and he's such a good passer that it is nice to have that as an option to go to. For sure. How many free throws did he shoot the other night? 23. Second most of his career. I, I forget the exact number. Him, Redick, and Embiid had like yeah. 98 points or something on 45 shots. I don't know if that's the exact number. Something it was. Like point is, they shot a lot of free throws that <laughs> night, uh, especially Ben and Joel. What do we? Uh, do you know? Do you know Ben against the Wizards last year when the Hacka Hacka Simmons happened? Twenty nine, right? Twenty nine. It was the most was mo- most in franchise history since the start of the, the millennium. I I moved over. Mike was sitting next to me on press row, but. I don't know. I guess it was one of those games before Thanksgiving or something, so there wasn't anybody else there. I just moved over and sat next to him, and I was like, this game's going to be over in five minutes. And we were there for like a half hour. <laughs> it didn't really even work that well, but it just... No, he it, made half of them. That's all just, he needed to do. It just took forever. It was brutal. Uh, but that was his most attempts on a non... Although he got six at the end that were intentional. But before then, he was legitimately getting the line a bunch. I... Even if he's, you know, what, what is he shooting at the free throw line? 60% around? It was 58 coming into the game. Okay. So probably around 60%. Yeah. Get a good night. The uh, Just him seeking out contact, that's good. Because that's where he still frustrates you a little bit. A couple plays against the Clippers where you're like, just try and dunk that or something, man, you know. And it, it didn't exactly work. What do we make of the uh, the jump shot heard around the world? It's, <laughs> so it's funny. in In watching all of those games... He took a bunch of jumpers, but they were all fadeaways. He even made a couple of them, too. 
They were all fadeaway, 9-1-1, bailout shots. That might be his first real jump shot of his NBA career. How jarring was that? <laughs> yeah. Just, I, I know players don't always guard him like that. It's it's kind of odd to see you know him in the corner and Tobias Harris basically chilling under the rim. Uh, but for him to take, I don't know if it was one dribble, two dribbles, or whatever, and just take a straight up and down jump shot was, I mean, all you like, have- 14 left on the clock, too. All you had to do was listen to Mark and Allah. They were <laughs> they were just loving it. They were like, oh, that was amazing. I can't believe he did that. <laughs> I love I love the debate, well, should he even be taking them? And no, that is not going to be an efficient shot this year. No way in he-, he could take three per game. And yes, that's probably going to be three wasted possessions, by and large. But... I think the way I call it, it's sort of like a gateway shot. Like, he's not going to wake up one morning and start shooting corner threes having never done any jump shot outside of that. Like, he's got to make that first step before he can get to where you want him to go. And also, if, you know, this is a league where defenders don't only defend. You see it with big men a little bit in, in, in the, the, the drop coverage, but defenders still react. It's not, they're not doing an internal calculation of, oh, what's the expected value of that play. GMs might be doing it when you design an offense. Coaches might be doing it. But on the court, you can still get a little bit of hesitation just by taking the fucking shot. So yeah, you might waste three possessions, but you might make each other possession marginally more efficient. You might I'm not even saying you're going to overcome all of it, but you might overcome some of those wasted possessions. But more importantly, that's a that's a gateway shot for where you hope he ends up in two to three years. Yeah, and I think I think you made a really good point. I forget if you tweeted it or if it was in an article, but you said uh, the far more important shot for him is the corner three. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would just open up so much more. So many people right now are focused on how do you make him a half-court score. Right. How do you make him pick-and-roll score? How do you make him a th- – you don't need to do that. You've got Joel Embiid post-ups. You've got J.J. Redick dribble handoffs. You've got, you've got uh, Jimmy Butler DHOs and ISOs and pick-and-rolls. You don't need him to be a traditional ball-dominant pick-and-roll player. What you do need is when they're doing all of that other stuff, those DHOs, those pick-and-rolls, those post-ups, you need him to not be useless. That corner three is huge. Yeah, you just need him to be like a Jeremy Grant-esque shooter from there. Oh, God. That's, that's all you need. Bar. That's all Oof. you need. Oof. I mean, I think that's a – it is low, but, like, God, I don't, even, I don't know if I can say it's realistic. I don't well, here, here's also a thing, too. I think developing even a further shot, I think developing a, 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 a corner three, a stationary corner three, is more likely than an off-the-dribble 17-foot pull-up. Mm-hmm. Like, you should be able to teach a coordinated athlete to do that over time. Yeah. Maybe, especially if you change hands, but we won't get into that. But you should be able to teach somebody. I mean... Brooke Lopez is a freaking bomber right now. He didn't he didn't shoot coming in the league. Alex Len Alex Len yeah. shoots threes. You can teach people to do this. I think maybe not this year. If you're looking to solve half court problems this year, it might not happen. But in two to three years, I think that is a more realistic shot than the pull up. And the pull up would be great too. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like a you know you only need one thing. But if you're going to prioritize something, I think that's the one. I agree. Um... And by All the right, way, Jeremy Grant shooting thirty six percent. I didn't mean to to knock. I'm Jeremy. talking. I'm he ta- shot twenty nine percent last year, but he's shooting thirty six this year. And I'm not even talking that. I'm talking like twenty fifteen. Jeremy Grant. <laughs> that's all. That's that's the bar I want to set for Ben. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of that one pull up, I'm like, 
I'm, maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon here, but I'm like, what, what is the what is the big deal about all this? Like, first off, Ben took that shot a handful of times beginning of last year. I feel like so, for some reason we're all like forgetting this. He he took at least four or five of like basically that exact shot, maybe out of pick and rolls, beginning of last season, and it just kind of disappeared. But again, like I have said this countless times, his jump shot has regressed in a lot of ways since high school it's gotten worse I mean even in summer league if you remember I know it's summer league you're, you're just kind of messing around out there but he was taking that shot on a, like pretty much every game and even in college like you would look at him shooting a three and it would look like a half decent shooting for him um and I don't know where it's gone so maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon but I just I don't think that shot is uh th- you know something we should all celebrate yeah, um, all right, before we get into that, a quick word from the sponsor of today's <laughs> podcast, Robinhood. Uh, Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, cryptocurrencies, and ETFs, and all commission-free. Robinhood strives to make financial services for everyone in a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and with true confidence, with a simple, intuitive, and clear design, with data presented in an easy-to-digest easy manner. With Robinhood, you learn by doing, as they let you discover new stocks and track favorite companies with your own personalized newsfeed, and you receive a custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Trading platforms require a lot of information to be available for your decision, and if not done properly, that decision can be overwhelming. I've used a number of these different apps before, and I can truthfully say that this is where Robinhood has left the strongest impression as they present the information clearly with everything you need at the touch of a button, but without overwhelming you in the process. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sixers.robinhood.com. That's sixers.robinhood.com. All right. uh, Just before we went to that break there, a tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN to, linking to an article about Jimmy Butler challenging Brett Brown and the 76ers offensive system. The report says that all-star guard Jimmy Butler has aggressively challenged Coach Brown on his role in the offense. Um, he has been vocal in contesting Brown and his system, including a recent film session in Portland that some witness, witnesses considered disrespectful and beyond normal player-coach discourse. Uh, source close to Butler says that this is his style, um, but that the sluggish... Uh, assimilation into the Sixers environment is causing some concern about his long-term viability and fit with the organization. So I guess where I'll start, I do think Butler has been, and we actually we had this on the docket of things to talk about when we started recording this podcast, I do think Butler's assimilation into the offense has been slower than expected. Uh, I think he has not been featured as much. I think he could run more pick and rolls, although I think sometimes the functional difference between a ball handler and a pick and roll and coming off a dribble handoff isn't that great. I think it opens up a lot of the same avenues as a scorer and as a passer that pick and roll play does. So I don't think that's the biggest gripe, but I think just the overall volume of those plays, whether it's pick and roll and DHOs, I think it could be improved. I think Butler struggled of late, you know, especially against the... Um, well, he had that awful game against the Spurs, and then the awful game that Joel was out against the Clippers, shooting about 39% and 25% from three over his last seven, so that probably doesn't help matters. But I do think Butler, there's probably some validity to Butler's overall point. I don't think he's crazy for hoping 
to be more involved as time goes on. What I do think is is two things. First of all, it's been a month and a half. Like, what the offense looks like now and what the offense will look like in two months could be very different things. But also, even if these are long-term gripes, there is, and I mean, we don't know exactly what happened. I'm sure more will come out in the coming days. I'm sure more will come out. We haven't had no chance to talk to anyone about this, where it literally happened as I went to break to read. Uh, the, the notification came out as I was going to break. So we don't know exactly the nature of this disrespectful confrontation. But I think the manner in which this has gone, both in terms of what he allegedly did, and how this allegedly got out is just not the right way to go about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's 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 a little bit strange, you know, when you go through the article. It seems like Brett throughout is kind of coming across as everything is okay. You know, right. he, he even had, even now it, it says in the article that Brett didn't have a take great exception to this right. change. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> right, Brett, <laughs> Brett is, is the dog in yeah. the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you have to start with the fact that there is some validity to Jimmy's comments. I mean, his role here has been a lot different than where it's been, what it's been for him previously. Um, I pulled up as soon as this broke. I, I pulled up this uh, excerpt from something I wrote. It was like two weeks ago, so these stats won't be up to date, but they do kind of, you know, embody his concerns. Uh, Jimmy has been assisted on 69% of his field goals with the Sixers. That was 40% last year in Minnesota. Uh, this year, he's getting 0.7 post-ups per game. Last year, that was 2.6. Uh, last year in Minnesota, the ball was in his hands 268 seconds per game. This year, with the Sixers, 116 seconds per game. Um, so clearly, he's being used a lot differently than he has been in the past. Um, there's definitely some validity there. What but I would say to that is that just because they're assisted isn't... Like, he's getting 15, 14 shots a game here. Yeah. He was getting, what, 15 and a half in Minnesota. It's not like he's completely frozen out of the offense. And some of that comes because it's dribble handoffs instead of pick right. and rolls. When you're getting the ball handed to you, that will count as an assist. Um, but, yeah, there, there's just there's some clear differences in how he's being used. I think the number that stands out the most to me is his free throws are down. Yep. Um, the lowest number they've been since he became an all-star. Um, you know, he's he's just not being tasked with like, like basically the way I would put it is that he's being asked to exist within the system a lot, and star players have to exist outside of the system a lot, and he he's not really being given that freedom to do it. Like the the one game that stands out the most to me is, is Utah. I mean, there were just stretches of three or four minutes where he didn't touch the ball, and he's standing in the corner. Um, for, you know, long stretches, and that's just too much for a guy named Jimmy G. Buckets. It is, and I think I think the inconsistency is what, like, if you look at his overall touches, his overall numbers, his 23% usage rate, I don't think anything there is drastically out of line. You know, he was 24% in his second last year in Chicago, 26% in his last year, then 24%, 25% basically in Minnesota his first year. His usage overall isn't drastically out of line. How he's getting his touches, yes, it's different. But I think it goes times where he is frozen out of the offense, where that was never the case before. And he's not asked to facilitate as much. He's not asked to, like you said, he doesn't get the line as much. He's not creating on his own as much. And I think part of that, you know, I do think they need to feature him more. 
But I think those opportunities as a shot creator for others, as a just ISO from the top of the key, were going to drop. Like, that's part of the concession you make to form a quote-unquote big three. Like, his career high in usage will always be that Chicago team before they got Wade and Rondo and that mess of a, a team there. But that will that should always be his highest usage because it should drop as they get more talent. It dropped in Minnesota, and it's dropping now here. Like, I think as a player, everyone who's not the clear alpha is going to make concessions to be part of a great team. And the concern with Butler... And concerned with Embiid too. Like he's he's he he voices his displeasure when he's not getting the touches he wants. But he's the alpha. He's the guy you're always going to cater to. Butler's going to have to make some concessions here. And like I said, right from the jump we started. I think Brett can learn how to better utilize him. I think he can run more pick and rolls. But my concern is even if you cater to Butler now, and you increase his uses now, is there going to come another time in the next five years that we're talking about with this next contract? where he's going to be a problem again. It's just, you're a month and a half into it, and regardless of the validity of his complaints, you did not want to see a story from ESPN a month and a half into what could be a five-and-a-half-year relationship. Six-ranked offense, too, since he's been here. Six-ranked offense, that's what I mean. Like, yes, his touches are down, but you're doing it for the greater good of the team. It's it's like you said. I mean, when when you form a big three... People are going to have to sacrifice, and honestly, the conversation so far has been about Joel because he's talked about he hasn't liked his touches. Now you have two out of your three who are unhappy with their roles. Uh, not a great start, <laughs> I'd put it that way. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it's like shout it's, out to all those people who made fun of anyone who voiced any concern about Butler's fit personality-wise, too. Personality is a thing. <laughs> These are people. You're not just throwing his stats together and and throwing them into a big machine here. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it sounds like this was a, a heated co- confrontation. I, I do not know what happened. It, again, like we said, Brett, this is fine guy, and maybe he's right right to be that. I, I don't know. Jimmy is intense, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I will say this: I haven't been that impressed with him recently. With how he's played? He struggled. Yeah. And I don't think that's all his usage. Like, I think sometimes he runs pick and roll with Joel. Uh, and it is funny. The game, you know, again, I'd love to see the data in front of me. I don't have the synergy data. Uh, the game after this apparently took place, Portland, it seemed like they ran a lot more pick and roll for him uh, against the Clippers. And, you know, I got to say, it, it happened in Boston sometimes too. Sometimes his reads are a little slow out of this. Sometimes he doesn't go the right way. I, I still think there is a, a decent chance he there is like validity to what he's saying. Um, not disagreeing there, but yeah, I, I think the main point here is, man, you're gonna have to sacrifice something. I mean, it, it's again, people make right points in the wrong way a lot, and you look at every spot he's been in. Before the Butler trade, this was our concern that the way you go about addressing it can fracture a locker room. And every locker room he's been in has had infighting. And now we're a month and a half into it, and he's calling out the coach in a way that people who saw it are dis- are, are describing as disrespectful and beyond normal player-coach confrontation. We can't have a normal two weeks here. We can't. We really can't. <laughs> and by the way, going back to the, those people who were like, you know, 
sarcastically making fun of anyone that said this could be a concern. People thought it was like a media-created narrative. Like, no, we did not create the Jimmy Butler thing. And and people, people I think, were clinging to, like, like he said on the JJ podcast, like, you know, they gave the example of, like, hey, you made that cut here, and, like, you can't do that. Like, yeah, that's direct communication. That's good. No, like, this is the shit that is the concern when, like, Jimmy will light somebody up in a meeting. By the way, like, two weeks ago, Jimmy was like, oh, you don't got to worry about me being aggressive. Like, I'll be aggressive when the playoffs roll around. Like, he was downplaying any kind of And how many times has Jimmy said, oh, offense is easy. Yeah. (laughs) Offense is easy. That's all he said. Just make reads and make your cuts. These guys are smart. They'll find you. Yeah. I'm beginning to think Jimmy Butler might like a little bit of drama. (laughs) <laughs> he might. He might. He, he, he also. He, he. He's. Here's what I'll say to Jimmy. He's very smart in front of a camera. Like he knows what to say. It's I almost can't. like yeah. Even when he's in a good mood, it's almost like he's always kind of performing a little he's, bit. He, oh, he's always performing in front of a camera. Um. Uh, yeah. He, it's, I, look. Look. I can't which, say I'm stunned. We're what like seven weeks since they acquired him. Yeah. How many practices do you think they've had? Five, six, four, five. Yeah. They just had one today. He's not uh, not available due to upper respiratory. Uh, and this this is part of the reason why in season trades don't typically yield a, a championship because it takes time. Like it is not they, they they quite frankly just don't fucking practice this time. Like they'll do film, they'll do walkthroughs. They don't practice. Uh, they're five six would be my guess, and that's probably overestimating it. It is she, she, <laughs> why and uh, look we can speculate about who. Leak this to Woj. To me, I think there's. I can't imagine that the Sixers front office or coaching staff would have wanted this out there. There had to have been a better way to handle this. Like it's given his history, it is. It's it's very concerning. It's very concerning. It's concerning, and I mean, it's you know, Woj basically said the you know he hit all the points. More traditional pick and roll and isolation sets, less A to B, less what the Sixers do. It's not what you want to hear, and I, you know, I, I don't know. Again, we we don't have every detail here. It doesn't seem like Woj even had all of the details here. You know, I it might just be a matter of perspective, you know, to some of these people. But yeah, this is not good, man. No, nope. And uh, what we were just talking about the other day, where Joel's comments, you got to be more tactful because now you're giving everybody fuel to run with the narrative. Well, the narrative is fucking on fire now. Yeah, it's running. It's running away. Ugh. It is interesting whether or not this will weigh heavily on their mind because when you have free agency coming up and you're talking about a five-year commitment for a guy who, by the way, you already had some concerns over how he's going to age. You're talking about a guy who will be, what, like 35 when that next contract ends, being paid big money to do so. Like there was already, I think, going to be some hesitancy to offer the most that you could offer and what Jimmy Butler was, was probably looking for. And now you've got, you know, just another confirmation that when Jimmy Butler isn't happy with his role or with his winning or with his teammates, that he's going to take a hashtag not great way to address it. And it is, even if they get this resolved now, you wonder whether or not that just increases their hesitancy, even just a little bit come July. Because if they trade Covington and Sharch and let this guy walk, that is, I mean, how do you get that third piece now? It's They are tied to this guy, tied to convincing him that this is where he wants to be and tied to betting on his body and his personality. And this is just not the report you wanted in early January, seven weeks after they acquired him. But, by the way, on the other side of the coin, I don't think this is something Jimmy should want either. Jimmy should want to be on his best behavior. So this is where he can both win and get the most money. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and, and you know, if, if Jimmy were to go, if Jimmy were to come here, 
and blow up the entire situation and come off as the bad guy when, you know, this was a very happy and normal locker room before he got here. And if, if, if he turns it into the exact opposite, I mean, that's just another strike against him. And, and any good team is going to be even more hesitant to give him that money in free agency. So, you know, I would just say that Jimmy has a lot of incentives to work this thing out and to be on his best behavior. Um, and that's honestly why I'm a little bit surprised that this would come out from his end. Um, but who knows? Like I said, I, I just think I just think Jimmy has a lot riding on this for himself, and he should want to be the good guy in a lot of these situations. And I mean, he's automically going to be painted as the bad guy because I mean, did well, anybody read the reporting? Yeah. It was three months ago where he was yelling at Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Can't like, win without me, which by the way, he's not wrong. Like they're really struggling right now. But. <laughs> That is the funny thing. He's not necessarily wrong with all of these things that he's saying. But the way he goes about it, I, you know, it's a... Uh, legitimate complaints that he always handles the wrong way. Yeah, and it, look, I, and that's, I guess that's what I'll end on is that, you know, we, we you had to mention how he exited Minnesota. You had to. This did not just happen, and you, when you throw him in, with two younger players, there, I mean, there's Chicago a concern too. Over that. Remember that all that infighting between the veterans in Chicago and the the, the young players. Yeah, like there 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 was paranoia that young players were like ratting people out to management, being spies essentially in a locker room. And it's like, if, if, if there's been one strength of this team over the last five to six years, it's been that locker room. And this is a, uh, you know, like you said, we can't go two weeks without something interesting uh, and and frustrating happening with this team. God, that is a great point. Why, why, Jimmy shouldn't want this to get out. He's, I mean, what, what do you have? Six, seven months to get paid? It's, uh, the hesitancy this would give to other teams around the league, too, is. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, does it, though? I don't know. I, like there's, we'll see. There's and, and hey, maybe this, maybe this blows over in, in a, a couple weeks. Maybe this. Short supply of guys like him that I, I think he's getting paid anyway. Do you think he's getting maxed out? Well, I, now we're just getting into these. Big conversations that maybe we're, we should we didn't expect to be jumping to. <laughs> I think like the Knicks would max him out, right? But right, I don't know if it's going to be the team he wants. But yeah, I think he's getting his next. But that we, we've got months until we have to worry about that. So Jonah Bolden, huh? <laughs> we that that was next on our list to talk about his real debut in the NBA of consistent rotation minutes. Look good. Yeah. Look good. All right. Uh, uh, good pod. Good talk. Thank you guys for jumping on. We will talk to you soon. Hopefully when we get our heads wrapped around this whole Butler-Brown situation. But talk to you soon. Peace.